the number one automotive sales podcast. Broadcasting around the world. Around the world. 100% positive mindset on making over 100K a year. You want to make more money and close more car deals while keeping a positive mindset. This is the show for you. If you can mind your business while you mind your own business, as you looking in the mirror and saying, this is my business, this podcast is for you. Broadcasting around the world. This is the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast with Ron Garverick. Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast. I am your host, Ron Garber. Thank you for joining me today. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Ron Garber, and go to the Automotive Architect Sales Podcast platform. Um, get it on iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, any platform that holds podcasts, you can go to it. Also, don't forget the Manager TO Podcast. Do the same thing. Go and log into all the podcast class, podcast platforms and uh, subscribe, like, share, give it to your friends, your enemies, whoever you think that will benefit from it. I got a special guest on today. It, it's a pleasure to have him on. I, I've been following him for many years and uh, it, it's great to have him on. Tim Kentz is the author of the Amazon bestseller Frictionless. And he's the president of the Kent's Group, the automotive industry's premier sales and management training company. He's a graduate of the NADA Dealer Academy. Tim has worked almost every position in the dealership. He delivers hands-on coaching, workshops, and presentations throughout the world, teaching universal sales and management strategies that have been proven effective in every business sector. As a strong believer in the power of a great leader, Tim helps managers anticipate change, adapt to challenges, and focus on the individual. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have not picked up the book, Frictionless, I highly recommend you get this book. Came out in, I believe, January of 2019. I've read it 15 times. And right now I'm on, I think, my fifth time of reading Fearless. Leading and Managing Unbreakable Teams. Two of my favorite books. I have them in my bag every single day. If I have a question, if I have any doubts, I surely go to the books to make sure that I become a great leader, that I become a great influencer and a great coach. And it it's top notch. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on uh, Tim's website. I'm sure he'll explain how to get the book from there. But if you look, the reviews are top-notch, five stars all the way around on both books. And uh, highly suggest it's on top of the line and you're not going to get any better than that. But without further ado, I want to introduce to you, Tim Kentz. Hey man, thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. By the way, I love the whole lead-in. I felt like I was getting ready to watch some cool version of Star Wars meets Da Vinci Code. It's pretty awesome. you know, everybody has their own little podcast and they have our intro with rap yep. and and I want I want my intro to, to bring a lot of attention to everybody out there. So when they see it, they're like, wow, okay, this is gonna get good. And then I want to be the number one automotive podcast in the world. And by having great guests like you, I hope hope to achieve it. So how you been? I'm good. Good, man. Just getting back at it, having some fun, hitting the road. Back on planes, back in dealerships, man. That's uh, and dealing with all the challenges and the opportunities, man. We got some great opportunities going on right now. Man, you got you got these these two books out: frictionless, closing and negotiating with a purpose. We all know, we both know that closing and negotiating is is very important in the automotive industry. And the problem is, some people are uh, shying away from negotiating. And fearless, man, fearless for managers. As soon as I found out you were putting the book out for managers, I bought, or I didn't buy, but my general manager bought 12 books to give out to all the managers. And I just read them in and out from, from front to back every single day. You know, I mean, it's the Bible of the car industry, I believe. What, what inspired you to do something like that? 
Well, I've always wanted to write a management book. I, uh, Frictionless was the first one on closing and negotiating. And I did that one first just because salespeople need so much they need help. There's very little good training out there on how to close, how to negotiate. Uh, it launched, I guess, timing sucked on it. It launched just before the pandemic hit. So face-to-face -face selling was a little challenging then. But um, I always wanted to write the manager's book first. Uh, just because I, I know, man, as managers, sometimes we're the least trained people in a dealership. You know, it's, I always kind of joke around, but it's, it's true that a lot of times becoming a manager, it's just like survivor, dude. It's you outwit, outlast, outplay, don't get voted off the island and you're going to become the manager. And we get very little training as a salesperson. And then we're just thrown out there. We're taught how to work our DMS and how to work V auto and how to, how to, manage our CRM a little bit, but there's very little people, leadership training that's out there. And and what's out there is so generic when it comes to leadership and management. You know, there's a lot of stuff talking about characteristics of a great leader and traits and all that stuff's great, but how do I pull it off in the real world? When I show up to work at 8 a.m. and I get one guy called in sick, the other guy's got his daughter is sick, so he can't come in. Somebody, I got two guys hung over and I got service yelling at me, dealer pissed that we're not selling enough cars and I got three deals I'm working. How do I apply those characteristics? And that's really what I wanted to focus on in Fearless was how do you make this happen in, in the real world? Because I think that that's missing in so much of our training that exists. It's a lot of idea, a lot of theory, a lot of should be's, not a lot of how to's. When, when I got into the car business, I was told by a, a veteran salesman, he was like, Ron, just going to tell you right now, if you're a manager, that means you suck at selling cars. And for the longest time, I was believing that. I was like, man, I don't want to be a manager because, you know, I'm making a pretty good living selling cars. But in, in some sort, he was right because you only get promoted because they need a spot filled. But yet... The managers don't know how to be a leader. They don't know how to be an influencer. They have all these bad habits that they're bringing into to being a manager that they're not. They're teaching if they're teaching, they're teaching the salesman the bad habits that he learned. And so with with the book Friction or Fearless, it helps justify and, and 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 it's all in categories on how to become a better leader i mean we got the john c maxwell books on being a, a leader but it, it's it, sometimes car guys aren't very smart and so if they're reading a john c maxwell book they're not interpreting it for the car business fearless interprets it for the car business, for the car, the sales managers, the the BDC managers, the finance directors, hell, I even got the the service manager reading the book, and it's so in depth on how to become a better leader in the automotive industry. So hats off to you because that is there's so many books about how to become a salesman, but there's very little books on how to be a great manager. So yeah. great job on that. Well, I, I think I think the reality is right now as a manager, we have so much on our plates. We have with, with you know our online our online showroom with the internet, managing the internet leads and the CRM and the manufacturers all up our ass all the time, and and finding good people or finding people that are going to sell, and you know right now the inventory being down, it's. It's so hard. We end up managing stuff so much that we don't manage the people. Right. And I would argue 20 years ago and, and further back, we were better managers. We were better leaders because we didn't have the distractions. We didn't have the cell phones distracting us. We didn't have email jail. We didn't have all this stuff. We had our people. When service closed down at 5 or 6 o'clock, it was – Managers, salespeople, it might have been throwing footballs around and stuff, but we were still spending time. I always talk about, you know, Maxwell says kids spell love, T-I-M-E, right? Exactly. How do our people know that we care about T-I-M-E? What don't we do enough of? Spend time with our people. And it's not because we don't necessarily want to. I think there's two reasons. One, a lot of us don't know how. We sit down to one-on-one, it's like, what do I talk about, right? It's what do you got working? 
And by the time I get to Tuesday or Wednesday, they ain't got nothing new working. So it's it's redundant and nothing new because we've never been trained on how to do it. Um, but the other thing is we just get so inundated. We get so busy with stuff that's not productive and it's not focused on selling. And I think if we can make the time to do to spend with our people, I don't care. If you're going to do one-on-ones with your people, you better have a schedule on who and when you're going to do one-on-one. If you're going to do training, you don't say I'm going to get to training. You say I'm going to get to training, you're never going to hold training. It's, you know, Stephen Covey, urgent, important, non-urgent, important, not urgent, not important, and urgent, not important. The urgent stuff gets our attention. Urgent, important stuff. Putting out fires, service heat, manufacture stuff, working that deal, ordering cars. That gets our time, but our people, it's not urgent doing the one-on-ones, right? It's important, but it's not urgent, and that's what gets set aside. And if we could make it the priority in our day, we're going to be able to spend time with our people. And if I spend time with the people, they're just going to get better. I, you know, if you said something, you know, I hear managers say, well, I just feel like a babysitter. Well, if you feel like a babysitter, that's how you feel. Then that you're looking at your people as a baby. And then therefore you're treating them like babies and they're never going to get better. You want better results. Treat them like they're 20 or 30 or 40 car people. You're going to get better results. Give them the tools they need. And then you're going to get better. But if you look at them as a babysitter or working a deal is just a pain in the ass to you because you're too busy writing descriptions on your used car uh, inventory on V Auto or the auction is more important online than, than working that car deal or taking a turn, being involved early and often in every car deal, then you're a desk manager, man. And that desk does fine on its own. And I think that's what's really missing. A great leader is gold. What I hated for so many times was uh, before your customers leave, I need you to take a T.O. But then you walk up and say, hey, boss, uh, the customer said they need to think about it. Would you come and talk to them? No, you tell them, have a good day. And it's like, or they come up and they'd say, so Ron was telling me that you wanted me to pay for your tax title and license. Is that correct? Yeah. You know what? You need to get the hell off our lot. That was ridiculous. Why would we do something like that? Just, just leave because we don't want to do business with you. And I started learning. They keep preaching that they want us to take a TO. But then every time we, we ask for a TO, either A, they run them off, or B, they just don't want to get off their, their butts and go out and talk to the customer. So I learned early on that if I wanted to sell cars and I wanted to make money, I needed to learn how to close my own deals. Sure, but that higher authority, man, that manager involvement, I always talk. Managers should be involved early and often. It's There should be an early management flyby to say hi, to build credibility in the salesperson and set up a pre-demo trade walk. That manager should be, should worst case here, non-negotiable, be doing a pre-negotiation interview. So before that first set of numbers goes out, there should be a two-minute interview with that customer to set them up for that first pencil. And we got to be there because – Typically, salespeople, by the time they turn them, that customer's burned, right? They, they burn them before they turn them. And I don't care how good you are as a manager. Man, if, if that customer's burnt and, and they're turned to you, there's very little that you can do. And, it, you know, how often do we train on how to feel like you're losing the customer? I always tell salespeople, man, if you feel like you're losing control, then you've already lost it. Right. You need to be a higher authority involved in that deal. They need another face because we don't we don't recognize the the control or the uh, the rapport drift right away. It just drifts and drifts a little bit, and then before you know it, it's like holy crap, this guy's getting ready to leave. What happened? They I felt like we were getting along. So so we got to teach our guys how to feel it. How do you feel that the customer's not clicking with you? They're not paying attention. Can they? I read the body language, the eye contact, the glancing at their spouse or whoever. They're, I mean, there's a lot of tells, and we got to be like good poker players and be able to read that tell so I can then get a manager involved in that deal. And as managers, get off your ass and get out there. And I think what happens with a lot of managers is we don't get involved and we lose that mojo and, and we just, we don't want to go out there then and, and fail. We don't right. want to go out there and get embarrassed because we can't close the guy. So it's like, 
Well, what they tell you, man, just tell them to get out of here. We got somebody coming in on that on that car anyway. And it's because our skills drift as managers, right? How how often do managers have training on how to take a TO? Do they role play it with other managers? I mean, why wouldn't we? We expect salespeople to role play a greeting. Why the hell wouldn't I role play an early flyby or how to get a commitment after the demo, but they won't commit and they're getting ready to leave or how to do a pre-negotiation interview? What's the difference? We got to be on our game too. So, and I don't blame anybody for it. It's just the culture that's been created. And it's been really, it was since 2008, it started drifting after the recession. We just got worse and worse. You know, the art of negotiating disappeared after the recession because we were in the, we just got to stay in business. So we're not negotiating with people mode during the recession. And it just left. And I think everybody has just, I, I say everybody, as an industry, we've gotten weaker and weaker. And right now is even worse. Right. It, right now, Hell, you're out there in West Texas. What's your inventory? What's the inventory like for dealerships? I mean, it's bare. I mean, I, they're talking about repaving the lot because how bare the lot is right now. And um, you know, we're we're fortunate enough to have plenty of inventory, but there's some dealerships out here in West Texas they ain't got no inventory. Man, I, I was just in the last two weeks. I was in Cleveland and in Buffalo, and one of the stores sells 400 a month. They had 83 new cars on the ground. They typically sell 400 a month, and the other um chevy store was their 200 250 and man their parking cars knows the nose the tail just to try to make the lot look big they, they don't even have 60 cars in inventory and it, it's a challenge i get it but you know to me it, it's funny i've been in the car business way long 31 years or whatever it's been um this is the first time i ever remember the dealerships having the advantage over customers. Yeah. It, we have that advantage over customers. It's the first time in my 31 years that we've had that advantage. And and that's great. And if you're not holding gross right now, then you're weaker than Circus Lemonade because your grosses should be strong because it's supply, supply and demand. But if we're not careful, we're creating a whole lot of bad habits. And I've said it a million times, good habits perform during bad times, bad habits perform during good times, right? During the pandemic, there was no such thing as it's not my job. Everybody buckled up and did whatever it took to survive, right? We were in survival mode. Now we're in a different type of survival mode, but it's really easy to get lazy. Start talking numbers, how much you want to pay them up, how much down you got, what do you owe on your trade before we even show them a car and walking customers because we're not making enough. And that's fine. You might get away with it right now. But when, when this floodgate opens on inventory, dude, it's going to be a fire hydrant. It's, I don't hundred thousand F one fifties or whatever those numbers are sitting at Kentucky motor speedway. Mm -hmm. That billion dollars worth of money off of their financial statement. They're going to be shifting it to the dealerships, financial statements, Chevy, right? Everything every manufacturer is and now when you go from having one silverado or one tacoma and you've got a hundred of them are you on your game can you sell again because people we're not selling cars right now we're not selling them people are buying cars for crying exactly. out loud right now people are buying cars if you're not selling customers if you don't have an 80 percent closing ratio right now then you need to reevaluate what's going on if you don't have if you didn't close them it's because you didn't have the inventory if you had the inventory and you didn't close them, they either had bad credit or you turned up, you were a sales prevention person. So it's, it's it, right now is the time to make your skills better when things are so good, because when it turns, it's going to be too late, man. We're going to say, holy crap, what happened? And it, and it helps those dealerships that were volume based thinking and less on gross th based thinking that it's, it's helping them understand that you can sell the same amount of cars and make the same amount of money and you don't have to give them away to earn a customer's business as long as the salesman sells on value and not on price and, Amen, it, and you have the same you have a saying says volume is your job gross is how you do it right is that how what it's volumes your job gross determines how well you do it that's right yes, sir and 
where I came from before I got into the dealership that I'm at now, we were all about gross. You had to make money. And uh, when I trans transed over to the dealership I'm at now, I was, I was flabbergasted on the grosses we were losing. I mean, you were losing $2,000 here and, and $1,500 there. And I was like, what are we doing? I, but we're selling a lot of cars. I'm like, we're giving them away. We're buying customers. Yeah, selling cars. People are buying. If you if you lose money on a car deal, you didn't sell it. They bought it. There's a difference. <clears throat> it's, there's four rules to hold gross. Rule one, hold gross. Rule two, hold gross. Rule three, hold gross. Rule four, if you can't hold gross, sell the car. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, I agree completely. This this time with inventory shortage proved that we don't have to have a race to the bottom. That people will buy cars. It, all these dealerships that were that, that were giveaway artists now see that we can hold gross. And I hope we can keep that mindset going. We may not hold the same amount of gross. I get it. I'm not saying... I mean, I'm in, I go in some stores, these guys are making fifteen, eighteen $18,000 a deal. That's not going to keep up. But we don't have to lose money when we're selling cars, right? We lose money when people are buying cars. And it's it's just make sure we get our crap together, man, right now. Now's the time we want to be prepared for when the storm hits, right? It's yeah. one of my favorite quotes Wayne Gretzky said. You know Wayne Gretzky? Oh, yeah, from hockey player. Great one, man. Best yeah. ever. He said that good players skate to where the puck is. Great players skate to where the puck's going to be. Exactly. So where's the puck going to be? Right now, we're just we're just following the leader, chasing the puck. I, I, I'm looking at where's that puck going to be. Are my are we going to be prepared? Right. What's the definition? Of, what's the definition of luck? When opportunity meets preparation. When opportunity comes up, if you're not prepared, you never get lucky. So, so where's the puck going to be? Are we going to be prepared for it? I don't care if it's when we get 500 cars in inventory or when electric cars are changing the whole evolution and the whole business model of our service department because they're, you're not maintaining them. You're just replacing parts on them, right? It's a whole different model when we move into electric cars. So it's, it's, what is that long-term vision? Where are we going and what are we going to be prepared to get there? And literally, that's what frictionless is all about. That's why I talk about the, the leadership quadrant. Lead, manage, train, and coach. When you want leadership is overrated. The word is. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a great leader, you gotta learn to lead people, manage things, train for knowledge, coach for skills. It's really doesn't have to be rocket science. But they get all four of them all mixed together and they get confused on which one goes with what. And that's where dealerships are hurting right now is if a manager is trying to train, his training is telling them what they're doing wrong, but not telling them how to fix it. It's you're doing this wrong. You're not selling the car the way you should be. You're not selling the features. Uh, you're not closing the deals. You're weak, yada, yada, yada. But then they don't say, but, yeah. We can help you with that. Let me show you how. Right? Yeah. It's you should be staying off price. You should be closing on the car. You should be building value. You should be. We should all over our guys. It it needs to be the how to. It's a transferal of knowledge is what training is. Right? It, just because I'm trained on something doesn't mean I have a skill. Right? Exactly. Once I train you and give you knowledge, coaching is rolling your sleeves up and working with them. It's going to batting practice, taking extra ground balls, going to the driving range and working on your, your short game, right? That's that's what's missing more than the training side. You can have Kent Style, my online training platform, and you can gain knowledge all you want. You've heard the saying, knowledge is power. I don't believe mm -hmm. in our business. I believe knowledge is dangerous in our business. Because there's a lot of guys that know a lot of stuff. They just don't. They can't do anything with it. I can Google anything. But it's mm – -hmm. It's coaching to develop skills, and that's the hard that's the hard thing to do because it takes time. But if it's fun, if you're like you were talking about me and you had a conversation earlier about volleyballs or I have heavy hitter bats for when guys get recognition for doing a good job. You know, is your SPIF program tied into your, your training? So I'm getting recognition, and I'm getting positive feedback when things are getting better. I think so often we're good at catching guys doing things wrong but we're not very good at catching people doing things right. 
Yeah, if, if you sit there and degrade them all the time on what they're doing wrong, then it's just wearing down on them. But if you uh, congratulate them on what they're doing right, that just saying, hey, you know, I recognize you've been going through hard times. I get that. But you're you're not allowing that to come into the dealership and you got a hat trick today. Congratulations. Here's a hundred dollars, man. You know, go, go spend it out, go buy uh, dinner for your family and spend some time with them. Cause you did a wonderful job today. And it makes them feel good about themselves on accomplishing a hat trick, never done it before, but he, he had his, his vision goggles on and he was out to sell three cars to the customer and, he he accomplished it. So if you make them feel good, that, that goes along. Even matter how, <clears throat> it doesn't even matter how big the accomplishment was, right? It's if they did a good job, they made 20 outgoing calls and sent 20 emails and they sent out 20 texts. They might not have sold a car, but they pat them on the back. At least they did the activities. It's going to pay off. It's a lead, it's a lagging indicator, right? If I'm doing all those things, that's a lagging indicator to my future success. Catch them doing a good thing. Man, it's, it doesn't matter how big or small it is. We need to recognize good accomplishments and not just the negative stuff. And that's why I love like levels charts and heavy hitter sets, build and burn. And we do dumbbells for the best closing ratio, just stuff like that, that I think some of the best salespeople I know are more recognition driven than they are money driven. Because they know if they're number one, if they sell their 30 cars, 40 cars, the money's going to take care of itself. Exactly. It's about the recognition and being number one. It's competition, man. Are you competitive? Do You, you know, I, I teach my managers, whenever you do an interview, ask, ask your, your, your applicant, tell me the last time you were in a competitive situation and how you handled it. Because if you're not competitive, this business isn't for you. I want competitive people. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I compete all the time. <clears throat> Doesn't matter how big or small it is. If I go to batting cage, my son's 11, we go to batting cage. I'm not throwing, I'm not just lobbing it up there from the hit. He's got to learn to hit real pitches. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm going to be better than him as long as I can be better than him because he's going to be kicking my ass in a couple of years. So it's, look, we're going to compete. That's why you keep score. I'm not into taking scoreboards down. I'm all, I'm all about co competition. I'm always, I uh, got a group of six guys on my team and I always have them compete against each other. Who's, who's going to sell the most cars and who's going to make the most money. And, you know, they're always coming in my office every day. Hey, how many cars has John got out? You know, look it up, man. I, I gotta, I gotta step up my game today. How much money is Joel got? Or he'll ask Joel, Hey, how much money you got made so far? Joel will tell him, God, I gotta, I gotta close more deals and hold more gross. And they're always just a friendly competition. But I got that in their head so they can do better. I mean, we got a guy, he sells 20, 30 cars a month. And I mean, he'll give the cars away just to sell cars and, and make 20 grand. But then I got another salesman who'll sell 10 cars a month and he'll make 20 grand. You just need to combine them into one good, great salesperson. And so, it. I mean, we got a great team. When starting out, you know, they were all lost. They didn't know where they were going. And just, you know, back in August, I just, I grabbed them. I brought them into the conference room and I said, listen, we're going to do this together. I'm going to teach you everything that made me successful. I said, you may not read a book. You may not watch videos. I'll do it for you because I'm going to make you great. And I, there was one salesman. He was, uh, he worked at McDonald's as a French fry fryer. He came into the car business and he never believed that anybody could make over a hundred thousand dollars in the car business. And I said, if you follow my direction, let me guide you to success. I guarantee you'll sell uh, plenty of cars and make over a hundred thousand dollars. And last year alone, he made over $175,000 in the car business. And he was a French fry fryer for McDonald's. Oh, it's crazy. The amount of money that's out there. We just, you just got to make yourself better. It's not going to come. You got to have drive. You got to, you got to give a crap, man. You want to, somebody's got to be number one and nobody cares. Look, life doesn't care if you succeed or fail. It's, I always say there's three types of people, people that make it happen, people that watch it happen. And people say, what the hell just happened? Exactly. And I, I believe the culture of complacency is greater than it's ever been. And if you want to dominate, if you want to kick ass, 
I don't think there's ever been a better time than now. I think your competition, if you want to be great, your competition is less than ever. Hell, we can't even find people right now to come to work because they want to sit at home and be Netflixers and get unemployment because they're making plenty of money being Netflixers and getting unemployment. It's it's crazy. But that's the advantage for some of us if we actually want to go out and do something about it, man. But it's not just going to come to you automatically. And, yeah, you may be the top person at your store, but if that means you're selling 12 or 15 cars a month, then you're the tallest midget, man. It's you got to strive. You sell 15, that's awesome. Now how are you going to get to 20? How are you going to get to 25? How are you going to get to 30? If you're selling six, how are you going to get to eight? Right? You always got to be pushing yourself. It's, it's asking that question every day when you wake up. What am I going to do today to be better than I was yesterday? Ask and yourself that. And it's, it's all about taking care of your people, loving on your people, the salesmen, uh, the customers that come in. If you, if you treat them right and make them feel comfortable, and I, and I always tell the guys, there's four reasons why uh, you don't sell a car. It's product, salesperson, payment, or price. So when a customer says they need to think about it, they don't really, all they need to think about is those four things. Is this the right car that they want? Are you the salesperson they want to buy from? Is it, unless they're stroking out a check or paying cash, is, is the price good for them or is the payment? And it's always down to the payment. But if you sell value, then the payment and price really doesn't matter. I said, so if they love you, you could, you need to step back show them the car again if they have a problem with the payment step back again show them the features and benefits of why the payment is that that uh much and then go back inside and negotiate again if the payment's still too high then you go back and you find them a trim lower and if you yep. said it yourself if the last 15 minutes of the car deal you're not getting anywhere with it is because you didn't do your job in the first 15 minutes right that's exactly right. And we always look at the last 15. It's look, negotiating is fun. I love closing and negotiating. And that's that's the highlight. But your real money's made in your presentation. And and most of the time we're product presenters, but we don't create mental ownership. Right. We never that customer doesn't take take mental ownership before physical and financial ownership most of the time. Because we don't paint that vehicle in their life. Like a good realtor, you know, great realtors. They walk you through a house. They got the kids picking out their room. You're figuring out what color you want it. Does your furniture fit? And when you walk out of that house, a good realtor, you're already mentally moving your furniture into that house. You haven't even put a bid in. You haven't even made an offer yet on the house. Exactly. That's creating mental ownership or physical and financial ownership. And it's getting good. It's it's being able to leverage the emotions of a car deal. Right? It's, it's an emotional thing. <laughs> sometimes positive emotions, sometimes it's negative. But my job is to give you solutions to whatever your problem or your – it's pain and pleasure, man. So how do I how do I show you how this vehicle is going to fix whatever that pain or pleasure you're looking to fix? And I think with walk-arounds and stuff in today's world, the old-school walk-arounds are dead. Six-point walk-arounds, dead. Three fabs per walk. And that's ridiculous. It ain't going to happen. We mistake the volume of features – that we cover for impact on mental ownership. Doesn't have anything to do with each other. It's not about how many feet you cover. Did you paint it in their lights? And did you leverage their emotions? When you can learn to leverage the emotions of a customer, that's when you become a great closer and negotiator. And then at the same time, have have logic discipline when you're negotiating, right? And be able mm -hmm. to control your emotions. If you can't control your emotions, it's one of my golden rules of negotiating, man. It's whoever cares least about a deal wins. Right? Meaning that customer needs to want to buy your car more than you want to sell. Not that you don't want to, but that's when I'm playing in the negotiation. And, I, and I've always said there's three kinds of salespeople. There's order takers, presenters, and closers. Right. Order takers, the customer comes in, says, I need to be at a 350 payment. You're going to work your ass off to get them that 350 payment. Uh, you always hear me when I hear uh, – because my office is right next to the sales tower and I hear a salesman going, Hey, they got to be at 350 a month. And all of a sudden I got a little bell in my office and you hear me ring it, go order up. And they get mad. They just look at me and like, God, you're such a prick. But I'm like trying to get in their head, stop working as an order taker presenters. They show the V the vehicle to the customer. They work all the numbers just for them to take that information and go shop at other dealerships. And a closer, they close the deal. They sell the customer on the value. They sell them on the price. 
and they write them up and they're gone in the vehicle. And I said, which one are you? Are you an order taker? You a presenter or you a closer? And that, that French fry fryer, he was an order taker for so long. He just wanted to sell a car to get a number on the board. Didn't care how much he was going to make. And then now he's a closer. He'll ask questions. He will get in and, and ask the customers all the tough questions. What do I have to do to get you in the car today? I need to be at a 350 payment. You and I both know that you can't get into this vehicle at a 350 payment unless you put some money down. I can't go extend a term. So either we go find a vehicle that's the less value and less options, or we go ahead and we take this vehicle for 475 a month. Which which one would you want to go with? And they're like, well, we don't want the cloth interior. I need you to sign right here and I'll get it put in place for you. He closes it. Because he made them realize, hey, I'm I can't negotiate anymore. This is where we're at, and so I applaud him for that because for, I've seen him grow. I've seen him believe in the process, and that's what he was losing was the process of of negotiating. But there's so many dealerships out there right now that they don't even want to negotiate. Well, before the inventory shortage, they didn't want to negotiate. They wore the the order takers, just get as many cars as we could sell. The manufacturer is going to send us our, our money uh, once we hit our goal, our objective. Stacking deep, stacking deep and selling cheap. And, and so now I'm pounding in their heads. We don't need to do that. We can sell the same amount of cars and make the same kind of money if we do our, our procedures correctly. You, and you negotiate or you sell on your feet, you negotiate on your seat. And that's how it works. But it really comes down to the dealership having a very clear, laid out, repeatable process. And I think every deal is just kind of fly by. We don't necessarily have that good process. How's that first pencil started every single time? What's the goal on the first pencil when you go out there, right? Goal isn't rarely are you ever closing the deal on the first pencil if you go out there and ask for all the money. The goal on the first pencil is to get all you can and take what you can get. My goal on that first pencil is to get their biggest down, uh, highest payment, most for ours and least for theirs. And the second pencil is all about leveraging or, or having that the logic discipline and being able to show them total cost of ownership closes using all the different tools that we have from doing our freedom of trade walk. But, you know, one thing, though, that kills so many negotiations in the stores is how long it takes to get to the freaking negotiation. Oh, yeah. If, if it's taking you long, if that customer shows up and it's taking you longer than an hour to start that first pencil. He has proven methods that really work. If you want to make more money, take these classes. He's intense, truthful, and he knows what he's doing. Check him out. Ron Garbrick, man, where to start with this guy? Um, I've had the pleasure of working under him for the past four years. He's my manager up at Street Volkswagen, and it's just been an amazing experience. I came in as a green pea with no experience, and you know he's went over and taught me a lot of you know a lot of great stuff with the car business, whether it's negotiating, uh, trade appraisals, walkarounds, you name it. He's went over it with me, and I'm super appreciative. He brings a ton to the table, you know, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience. He's worked the desk. He's you know he's worked every position, you know, BDC sales. He's done everything in the dealership, so he has a wealth of knowledge and, you know, having those credentials behind him really solidifies what he's saying. You know, he knows his shit. He's good at what he does. He's had results. So definitely listen to Rod Garbrick, man. Uh, I'm very blessed to have him at the dealership and be able to learn from him directly. So tons of good stuff. Can't wait for y'all to check it out. Hello, guys. My name is Joel Marquez, and I highly recommend Ron Garbrick's sales training because he's very passionate at what he does. Uh, me and Ron have been working together for over five years, uh, two different dealerships. I went from making two to $2,500 to pushing over $10,000 a month. Uh, yes, I'm currently over $100,000 year to date in about eight and a half months. I highly recommend you guys take advantage of all his courses. He's great at what he does. Thank you guys. Have a blessed day. Hey guys, I'm Ron Garwick, and as you just heard from these fine professionals, I have changed their lives financially in the car business. 
I have changed them from making $2,000 a month to 12 to 15 to $18,000 a month by following my methods. Finance departments, I have changed their finance department from making $125,000 in finance gross to over $350,000 in finance gross by using my methods. Sales managers, I have taken you from $1,200 PVR to over $2,000 in PVR by using my methods. So finance managers, sales managers, if you wanna make $500 more on PVR, go to Garve University. Sales people, if you wanna make $500 more on each commission, go to Garve University. Guys, this is so impactful, full of great content. I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything. I'm gonna tell you how it is and I'm gonna help you make money. I guarantee you will see results within one week by using my methods. You wanna make 10, 15, $18,000 a month? Let's get started to get you closer to that financial freedom. Go to Garve University right now. Time is the new commodity, and the whole velocity of that deal has to be sped up without and, sacrificing the integrity of selling. Exactly, and then they get into finance, and they're they're in a hurry. You need to speed this up. They they need to go to a baseball game. They need to go to a graduation. It's like, listen, I got forty five minutes with your customer. I don't know what you did out there, yeah. but we can't speed up the process because what I'm looking at now, you're not making any money on the front, so we have to try to make it up in the back end. Look, everything has to get sped up. The, it, the evolution of the business. Man, that, when the pandemic hit, I wrote Fearless and I put together an internet <clears throat> coaching and, and uh, accountability program where we go in and manage the internet leads to make sure they're getting handled right and, and grade and score every one of them. And we put together a video platform and it's the evolution of it. If we don't evolve, look, my – I was trained by Jackie B. Cooper in 1990 to do a silent walk around after the demo. Well, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Highest emotional point of the sale, the end of the demo. And now I'm going to walk around a car and kick your teeth in on it and get rid of all that emotion. So I just, just before sitting down and, and, and having the most stressful point of the car deal for everyone. It doesn't make sense. Exactly. It's just where it's where it was, but it doesn't mean it's right. The, the trade walk should be done at the beginning. The appraisal should be done while I'm on the demo. So when that customer comes back, man, we got that first pencil ready to go. But it's speeding the velocity of the deal up, but it's it's changing and evolving our processes. Look, old school doesn't mean it's bad school. Okay, there's plenty of old school that's good, but there's also new school that's bad, new school that's good. It's how can we blend the two together to make it an exceptional experience and maximize our profits. And that all comes down to having a repeatable process that we, that everybody can follow every single time. Exactly. Great. So what, what advice would you give managers right now that want to change and want to start the negotiating stage with their salespeople on the proper way to do it. What advice would you give these managers? Uh, first, for being a you know a leader. Second, being a coach and a trainer on guiding them in that right direction. What what advice would you give them? I think the most important thing that any of us need to do is identify what can we what can we do, change, fix, whatever it is that we can implement that's going to have the greatest impact for our people that's going to deliver the least amount of pain, right? Because I always get, I get managers come to my two-day manager workshop or we'll go in store and do stuff. And they're always like, well, where do I start? It's because we cover so much stuff. It's like, where do we start? Well, everything we want to fix, but I need to identify what's going to have the least amount of pain that gets greatest impact. And when you can do that and the people and your people see that it worked and they made more money or their job got easier. Now, when you say, okay, now this is what we're going to fix next. Now their minds are open a little more. Just look, salespeople, they've, if they've been there for any period of time, they've seen all these changes. Guys, we got a new program we're on. 30 days later, it's gone. You got Captain Wrinkle, your veteran, loyal underachiever, sells eight a month. He's there saying, look, guys, just bobblehead, say yes. It's going to be gone. We'll be on a new program in 30 days. So it's, it's what's going to give your guys impact. They're as good as they're going to get on their own, man. That's the bottom line. So, so it may be that 
managers are going to go out and we're going to do a pre-negotiation interview. So we're going to find out if the customer's level of commitment and if the salesperson did their job before the first pencil goes out. That may be what we need to start with. While I'm teaching my guys how to get a commitment from the customer, maybe it's it's showing my guys, you send people out there with 20% down at, at 48 months is your first pencil. Well, I got to show them how to justify why we're showing them 20% and give customer benefits, right? It's That may be what we got to work on in the store. Hell, we might need to work on the managers going in and just presenting numbers because our salespeople are lost as last year's Easter egg when they go out there to present numbers, right? So every store is a little bit different. One size does not fit all. It's not cookie cutter. The end result that we're looking to achieve may look exactly the same in multiple stores. But what the level of my managers and salespeople are in every store is different. So what can you fix or improve that's going to give impact, positive impact? Like I said, whether it's income or make your job easier. That's what they really care about. My job easier or am I making more money? Which one is there? Help them have wins, right? Winning's a habit. Losing's a habit. You teach your people to be winners. You teach them to be losers. So let's set them up for wins. If you know your guy's going to get his freaking teeth kicked in when they bring that first pencil out, why the hell would you send them out there with a the first pencil if you know they're going to get their ass kicked by the customer? What What is that? That's that's a total fail mode, man. That's not what we're wanting to do. If they're going to get their teeth kicked in, I either send somebody else out or I walk my ass out there and I present the numbers and I coach my guys. You can't train during the deal. It's too late. I don't teach you how to hit a ball during a baseball game. Exactly. I train, I train before, I train after. I coach on knowledge during. If they know it, I can coach them. But to load their lips, hey, go say this. You ever done that? Have them repeat it back to you? So what are you going to say? My dad used to do that to me when I was young. He would give me a set of instructions to do, and then he said, now repeat it back to me what I said. And you're like, that's not even close to what I just said. Oh, exactly. Give me the worksheet, I'll do it. And the frustration, I, I degrade you, make you feel like crap because you couldn't remember exactly where, because you're emotionally attached to that deal. Mm -hmm. You're in an emotional mindset. At that point, you're not logical. You, Your emotion is crushing your ability to have logic discipline. It's that simple. So it's I, 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 there was one thing I could tell guys to work on. There's not one thing. There's a million. But identify what can give you some impact. And that's when you and that's when a guy see wins, they're all over it. They love it. If that fry guy, if the fry guy, if he never got any wins, he'd think you were just full of crap when you told him you could make six figures. But he started getting some wins, you spent time with him, helped him get better. Now he's making six figures. Now he believes in the next step and the next step and the next step. And that's really what it comes down to, man. Well, Tim, how do, how do people reach you? I, I know they can, they can go on your website here in the Kent's yep. group and they can yep. take some of your classes, online training, uh, Lots of training here. One thing that you got going on in, in September is train the trainer, right? Absolutely. That's an awesome class, man. That's it's for managers. <clears throat> and if you're if you don't like getting out of your comfort zone, then you don't need to be there. Because <laughs> it is it is getting up and holding about a dozen short training classes to other people, other managers that are gonna be in there and being coached and critiqued on how to get better. So so you're a trainer, right? Trainers sell. They right. don't tell. So it's learning how to be a salesperson when you're up there holding training. So, yeah, it's pretty badass. I went through it years ago when I was in the dealership. And, man, it's it's one of those you got to be comfortable. you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable with it. But, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun with it, man. We normally do it during Super Bowl, do a big Super Bowl party on Sunday. And then Monday, Tuesday is training trainer. Obviously, that didn't happen this year. But we do it at Top Golf. So I love – I'm a big sports guy, but I love competition, fun. We go hit golf balls at lunch and after class and hang out instead of doing it in some old hotel that was built 40 years ago next door to an airport. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good time. And then we got, you know, we're, we're going to be adding more and more workshops, but we always do them at Top Golf. Fun and competition, baby. That's what we got to get back into the dealerships. Got to have it. So I appreciate you being on today. I know you're, you're going to be busy for the next four weeks going yep. in. 
and helping coaching. Um, you know, and, and as you as you notice on this episode, um, and if you follow Tim like I do, and every time he does a podcast, you listen to it. You know, you guys know that he played baseball up in Alaska. You know, he he started working as a um, detail guy or a porter in a dealership then became a salesperson first become a salesperson at a shoe store and then moved into the uh, dealership. And then gradually you started uh, going to school in ADA, learn how to become the best, then start working for Joe Verde. And then you went back to a dealership, run a store. Then you were like, wow, man, is this what's happening in these stores? No one's training. And then you started your own group, the Kent's group. Yeah. So, in a short yeah. span of all those other episodes that you listen to, you can listen to them, but I, I just sped it up real quick. So I didn't want to go and ask the same same questions that everybody asked during those shows. I just yeah. went into the meat and got into the bone on how to improve and how to get better in the automotive industry. And none other can you get it from the best. But but Tim Kentz, is, he, he speaks the truth. He spits it out. And he, he doesn't sugarcoat anything because – as a coach does, if you want to succeed and you want to get better, you've got to be willing to learn and be willing to be coached. And that's one thing that you can learn from Tim Kent is he will coach you, but you got to be willing to learn. Right. Tim, thank you for being on, my friend. The teacher will arrive when the student is prepared. And next time you're in Dallas, let me know. See if I'm going to be here. and We can uh, shoot a podcast here in, the, in my I, studio. I sure will. I sure will. And, and – the train, the trainer is going to be in Dallas or yes. Austin, Dallas. Okay. That's great. That's just uh, what five and a half hours from here. So it's not too bad. 45 minute flight. Done that plenty of times. Um, my son played uh, uh, traveling football and we got to play in Jerry's world a couple of times wow. and uh, watch him get better and bigger and stronger. And now he's wanted to be, he's, he's just going to be in eighth grade, but he wants to play for Texas tech and, and then find himself in the NFL. So we'll see how that Guns up, baby. Guns up. Exactly. So yeah, we'll make my trip to Dallas. I'll sure give you a holler and see if you're around and, and we'll go from there. And I'm uh, highly thinking about the train, the trainer. I know I'm going to get grilled, but I know it's only to get me better and make me stronger. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that in August. I keep getting plenty of emails from your assistants. So persistence, they want me to be there. So right. we'll go from there. Tim, it was great having you on. Be safe great. out there. Thank you for everything. And uh, you're awesome, my friend. Can't wait to do it again. It was an honor. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Discover Thank your you daily much. deal at the dating site for automobiles, streetvw.com. Here's general manager John Luciano. You can save thousands on this showstopper, the revved up Volkswagen Atlas Crossport, or get ultra low monthly payments on all new and used vehicles, like on the Volkswagen Atlas. And remember, many Volkswagen vehicles are famous for outstanding fuel economy. And meet the Volkswagen ID4. This affordable electric SUV is going to change everything. Hurry and discover your daily deal now at streetvw.com. Street Volkswagen of Amarillo, 5000 South. Sansi.